uh, to his disciples. We've seen that from Mark chapter 8 through to 10. There's three times. Remember chapter 8, Peter finally confesses, you are the Christ. He got it right. And then Jesus, rather than tells him, we're going to go into Jerusalem, we're going to take the kingdom, he starts to tell him about his suffering. And remember, Peter took him aside and rebuked him. No, that's not going to happen to you, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. No one's going to stand in the path of this mission that I have. Well, then the second time the disciples, he tells them about it, the disciples just begin immediately arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Very insensitive. And then thirdly, here for the third time, Jesus tells them about their coming suffering and death and that it's now very close. And the point is that Jesus kept on preaching. He kept on preaching that he was going to suffer, but the disciples just didn't get it. They didn't understand it, or they, they began to ignore it. They never took hold of the fact that the king was coming and that the king was going to suffer and die. And that dying was his glory. That was his glory. The Son of Man, as Jesus Christ hung on the cross, the Son of Man was lifted up, and that was his glory as he hung there and died for the sins of the whole world to save us. They kind of just ignored that part which is why they ask such woefully out-of-touch, cringeworthy questions. And you see that here. Jesus has just foretold his gruesome death. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they come up to him and they say, Teacher, we want you to do whatever you ask of us, whatever we ask of you. So basically, they come up and ask Jesus for a blank check. We want to ask you, we want to ask you and we want you to answer. Uh, you know, there's this kids' movie that I haven't seen. Maybe some of you have seen it. It's called Yesterday. Has anyone seen Yesterday? I haven't seen it, but apparently it's this thing where kids have this one day where they can go up to their parents and ask them anything, and the kids have to say yes. Um, my kids found out about this movie, and they came up and asked me, Dad, can we have a yesterday? And I simply said, no. <laughs> no. Uh, well, James and John, they're asking, they're asking Jesus for a yesterday. Can you just give us whatever we want, Jesus? And Jesus here doesn't write blank checks, but he is gracious toward them. And so he asks them first, uh, what do you want to, me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right and one at your left in your glory. So glory, obviously, in their minds is the place of Jesus' ultimate triumph as the Messiah, victorious over all their enemies as the rightful king. James and John, they want to sit with Jesus on his right and his left in that place of honor. Now, Jesus has just told them that they're heading to Jerusalem. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be spat, flogged, uh, and killed. And yet James and John are thinking to themselves that question I said at the beginning, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? In fact, in Matthew's gospel, it makes it worse because we learn that actually um, their mum came with them. So like their mum wanted to make sure that the boys were going to be okay in the kingdom. I think there's nothing more embarrassing than that. Your mum came. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, they want to make sure they have this privileged position. And I think it's easy to look down on James and John with their request here. But if you think about it, don't we often pray woefully out-of-touch prayers? You know, don't we often come to Jesus and we, we, we basically ask in Jesus, hey, what's in it for me? What's in, what's in this business of following you for me? That's pretty much what they're doing here. And, and the, the things that we often pray about, they're often not things that are about Christ's mission, 
which is what Christ is thinking about here, his mission, they're all about, they're all about us. And so perhaps we shouldn't be so harsh on James and John here. Well, in verse 38, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? So these two references, the cup and the baptism, these are references to suffering, perhaps general references to suffering. Uh, Specifically, Jesus knows what they're about and these guys just think, well, he's talking about some kind of suffering. But for, for Jesus, this obviously refers to the special assignment that Jesus has been given, that he is going to drink the cup of God's wrath. He is going to take that upon himself, the wrath of God upon himself. He is going to be baptized. This is not talking about the, the water baptism of John. This is talking about baptism as in the meaning of the word, to be immersed. And he's going to be immersed in death. He's going to go down and he's going to be buried And so this is the path that Jesus is on, and Jesus is saying to them, are you able to take that load? Are you going to carry that? Now, without knowing what they are saying, they respond, again, cringeworthy and terrible, we are able. Yes, we are able, but they don't know what they are saying. You see, in their minds, they have this picture. They have this picture of glory at the right hand of Jesus in some kind of kingdom that is coming, but actually what Jesus has in mind is this. It's the path to the cross. It's to go to the cross. Nevertheless, Jesus knew ultimately that they would understand what that meant and that they would suffer. Because we know that that James was the first of the 12 who was martyred. Acts 12, we read that he had his head cut off. John was boiled in a pot, exiled to the island of Patmos. So they did end up identifying with Jesus' suffering. But this is what Jesus was saying. At this point in their life, they had this vision of glory and Jesus was saying, I'm going to the cross. You can't help but think maybe if James and John ever reflected on that question at this point and realized the two men either side of them, what it actually meant to go through with the suffering. And not, not of course, just the physical suffering because the criminals didn't go through that, did they? But the weight, the drinking of the cup, God's wrath as, as the... Um, that he took as the payment for sin. And so Jesus says that they are going to suffer for them, um, for him, and they don't understand that yet. But he goes on to say that regardless, the places in his kingdom are not for him to grant. He says, but to sit at my right hand or at my left, in verse 40, is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And so Jesus is saying that God is the one who exalts to the highest of places. He's the one that lifts up. It comes through self-denial and suffering and sacrifice. God is the one who exalts to the humble, to the highest place. Uh, No one promotes themselves or finds a back door into the positions of privilege, as so often happens in the world. Verse 42, all the other guys are listening in, and they see that James and John have got in ahead of them. And they say, when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. So the other 10 are actually really angry. And I think it's probably because they didn't think of it first. They didn't think of trying to get a leg up first. But they're angry because James and John have broken ranks. You know, they've they've tried to leave them out in in the cold and protect their own self-interest. Notice James and John even left Peter out. And Peter was like in the trio of the closest to Jesus. They've left Peter out. 
in the cold. You know, self-interest, it always creates division in the community. Looking after number one, it's like a cancer that spreads throughout any community as everyone tries to scramble for position. When everyone wants to know what's in it for me, well, everyone else starts to think the same way too. What's in it for me? But Jesus now gives the lesson, and this is the principle of exaltation, of position, of authority, of the way of the kingdom. Verse 42, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know those that are considered rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. He's talking about the way of the Gentiles, the way of godless people. This is the way that they lead and live. You've probably all had that boss who only cares about the fact that they're the boss. They don't care about you. They, they care that they're respected. They care that they have privileges and that you are there to support them in their goal. There's nothing worse than a boss like that. I've had a few of them. And that is the way of the, the world. But here it is, not so with you. Not so with you. Verse 43, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. Here's the lesson in the school of discipleship. The way of the world is self-promotion, but the way of the kingdom is the way of a servant. The way of the world is of self-promotion, but the way of the kingdom is the way of a servant. Jesus is calling them to be a servant. Diakonos is the word. It means table waiter. And that was the primary meaning of this. Be a waiter. Other words in the New Testament for servant describe just a house servant. Or another word which describes an under rower in a galley ship just rowing the oars. So Jesus doesn't say become a ruler, become a dignified official, become somebody who's powerful in office, rather wait tables. And it doesn't end there because if you go down from there to verse 44, Jesus says, if you want to be first, then be the slave of all. Slave was even lower than a servant. Be the slave of all. You see, this, this question, what's in it for me, it has no place in the kingdom, does it? Because the fundamental identity of a follower of Jesus is one of a servant, a table waiter, a house servant, a slave, an under rower in the, in the bottom of a ship. So how can we apply these things there's three things I just want to apply to us this morning. The first one is this. Leadership is nothing more and nothing less than being a servant. Now remember, these guys here, they are going to lay the foundations of the church. They're going to become the, the apostles. They're going to lead and teach. And this is a very important lesson that they had to learn. Jesus had already taught them three times that he was going to suffer. They hadn't yet processed it yet. They hadn't yet understood what Jesus was coming to do and therefore what they would come to do. But they would learn it. And so it's very important that we understand that leadership is not the place you get to where finally everyone serves you. If leaders here, 
say if you're a business leader, say you're a team leader at your work or you have staff or you have employees, if you're a tradesman who has an apprentice, are they there to serve you, to meet your needs or are you there as a leader to serve them? That's the way of the kingdom. In, in the church, a ministry leader, if you're a ministry leader, a community group leader, if you're an elder, if you're theologically trained, you've been to Bible college, you are not greater than those that you lead. You must not forget that you are also one of those that you lead. And Jesus showed this. He actually came and identified with humanity. He became one of us, even though he was far greater than us. He condescended in humility and became one of us. In the same way, you are also among those that you lead. And so you must have the humility to value every one of your team members, their ideas, their opinions, give them space to serve, to use their gifting. Your primary role as a leader is to let other people flourish, not to build what you're trying to build. It's to let other people flourish. Leaders in the home, dad, mum, does the family serve your interests or do you serve theirs, the interests of the family? Leadership is nothing more and nothing less than being a servant. The second thing, this one's a little bit sassy, serving is not about you or for you. And there is a way that we can identify with this passage morally Because even a secular therapist will tell you that serving is good for you. It's good for you. And the problem is, is that we can still see that there is a selfish motive in serving. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. Notice in verse 45, we see the pinnacle verse, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus' service is purely for the benefit of others. It's for others. So how do we become servants who serve purely for the benefits of others? Of course, we won't do this perfectly. We're sinful in our motives in many ways. But the only way to continue growing in this kind of mindset, serving for the benefit of others, is to be humbled by the cross so that more and more you aren't thinking of yourself in your own serving. Because the more you look at the cross of Christ and you see his selflessness for you, and you will think less of yourself. You, you see his crushing, the king of the universe being crushed. That does nothing else but humble you and make you realize that you aren't greater that you ought not to think more highly of yourself than you are and so the irony of selfless serving is that you probably won't know that you're doing it you probably won't know that you're doing it because your heart is actually wrapped up in the gospel it's wrapped up in Jesus himself he is your vision it's so it means that truly true the answer is not just to try harder to be a harder working servant The answer is always found at the cross of Christ where the sinless saviour paid your ransom. That changes you, it humbles you, it makes you forget yourself as you consider him and serving him. The third thing is this, is simply this, 
is to plan to serve in every sphere of your life. Plan to serve, to be a servant in every sphere of your life. So there'll be many things that you're going to plan for 2023. You're going to plan your budget. You'll plan your holidays. You'll plan your work. You'll plan like your ambitions, your fitness, your diet. All of these things will serve you well. But what will be your plan to serve others? That's the greater thing. That's the way of the kingdom. That's what greatness in the kingdom is, is serving for the benefit of others. So think about your family, your community, your church. Perhaps you might meet with one of the ministry leaders to find a place to serve. We'll come along next week to our members meeting, shameless plug, to hear about what's happening in the church, to find out what's happening and to get involved, to come along and think and ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. And so the world thinks service is mainly about us. The world even thinks that service is good for us. It tells us that leadership is power and authority and to look out for number one. But Jesus says, not so with you. Not so with you. I have come not to be served, but to serve, to pay your ransom, to be crushed for your sins. That is my glory. That is our glory, is to humbly serve him and to serve others. We're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning. And it's fitting as we take the Lord's Supper on this passage. Because in this meal, we're reminded of Jesus, the servant of all, who laid down his life for us. And he had no thought in it of what's in this for me. His only thought were to do it according to his Father's will and to do it for us. He took the cup of God's judgment that we deserved. He was immersed into into death on our behalf so that we might have life. And so I just want us to take a moment, a couple of minutes, because in our lives, I know what it's like, we often get very busy. And I'm sure you've had a busy week and I'm sure it's been filled with noise and you've got all kinds of things on your mind. And I just want to give you some space this morning to reflect on the glory of Christ and his cross. To think on Jesus who was mocked, who was spat on, who was flogged and was killed. The son of God who was given for you, who laid down his life for you so that you could be forgiven and made new. I just want to give you a few moments just to reflect on that this morning. Ben's just going to play for us a tune that you know well. So I'm just going to give you a few minutes just to worship him.